Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club with me, Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mr. Mark Donaldson. Laurie, hello there. Um, we're going to see how many episodes in a row that we can manage without talking about football and about hearts. We might have to visit it. Did we not today. speak about it last week, though? Yeah, but it was kind of, and, and it was the, and finally report on a news. It was 30 seconds worth of, yeah, Hearts played at the weekend, whatever. And it's it's Aloha tomorrow. There won't be much about Aloha because we have a special guest today. And I'm going to leave you to do the intro because I've already fucked up John Colhoun's surname again there because I've done it for 40 years. So you can do the surname of our guest today properly, unlike the so-called professional broadcaster. You're just trying to tee me up to do. To... To get it wrong. Um, so you, yeah, you do that every weekend anyway on Harps TV. Don't oh, worry. whatever. Uh, we are delighted to be joined by Mr. Stuart Duguid, I believe is the... That's correct. Well, there we go. It's one, one, Dunsire 1, Donaldson nil already. Because we just asked him what the pronunciation <laughs> of his name was before we came on air. Um, Stuart Duguid, um, agent extraordinaire from IMG, uh, who who represents Naomi Osaka, who is the highest-earning female sportswoman in the world. And this isn't a bandwagon you've just jumped on, Stuart, is it? So tell us a bit about that, and also, Hearts, why? No, I suppose not. I mean, I've been working with her for since she was since she was not as good as she is now. So when she was 17 or 18, she was about 150 in the world. Um, so probably... Knew she was going to be good, but maybe not four Grand Slams by the age of 23 in a few years. And biggest female sports star in the world perhaps didn't uh, see that one come out. Um, but yeah, why Hearts? Well, my granddad played for Hearts. I grew up about five minutes from Tynecastle. Um, been going since I was seven. So I mean, we don't we don't have a choice, do we? Though. Um, but yeah, that's 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 my long affiliation with the club. So. I think it'd be it'd be good to to get your views on on Hearts, especially since you're like Mark tuning in from the states. Where is it you're based now? I'm in LA. By the way, I have to um, apologise for my accent at the start, um, <laughs> which is absolutely appalling. Glad to be on a podcast with Mark, though, who is the one guy that has also has a transatlantic twang, so um, he makes think, me feel a little bit better. Really? Um, I mean, I can hear it because I know the American words that. He just we says un- things like trash yeah. and what did you say the week? Dumpster. <laughs> dumpster fire. Well, it was a dumpster fire. That was just like dumpster. a shit show. Um, and it's not Sheena Easton. It's not mid-Atlantic. I think, I mean, the interesting thing is, right, your your wife, Stuart, is is American, right? My wife's Scottish. So we don't, I don't say to Lenny in the morning, hey, how are you? What do you want to do? No, that's bollocks. So there's no kind of American-isms or Americanness in our accents until our daughter who's now three, grows up and brings stuff home. That might change a wee bit. But surely your wife has, her accent has rubbed off on you a little bit. Because I've heard you when you're in full flow, when you're trying to impress the bigwigs yeah. and whatever. You sound like you're from here. Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. When I first came over, no one could understand what I was saying. So I, I made a quick pivot. But yeah, the, the missus, uh, she's speaking a different language sometimes. But she has you know, had a few pints in the Roseburn Bar and she knows our colloquialisms as well. So she's uh, very talented. <laughs> Is that not the away pub? That's the away pub, but it was it was my local because it was about a drive and a nine from my house. Right, well, not okay. on Saturdays, though, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say, being there with the Hibs fans and Derek Rowden and all sorts. Yeah, Derek. Uh, 
<laughs> so we'll have if a you were, if you if you were a, whoa, 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 if you if you were a, a proper journalist on done sir oh albeit neither of us are the first <laughs> thing that i did when he said my grandfather played for hearts i'm like whoa i didn't know that london hearts wasn't william do good was it no it wasn't it was william duff um who won the cup in 56 and you're not related to bill duff are you yeah he's my granddad my mum's dad yeah Jesus. Yeah. This is what this is what you call research, huh? It's or not, not Google also. I can't blame you. <laughs> yeah, he's uh what I mean Hearts, Dunfermline, Charlton Athletic. Um Yeah, had a had a pretty decent career. If he was playing now, we might have we might have stayed up last year with all our absolutely appalling goalkeepers. What lettuce wrists. <laughs> What's that? Lettuce wrists, Pereira. Oh my god. I mean, look, look. If, if lettuce wrist wasn't around, we'd have probably stayed up. And Stendhal might have been in the job. Who, who knows where we'd be at? Earns twenty grand a week and conceded seven the other night. I think. Are we a victim of some sort of Jeremy Beetle-style practical joker? Where do we get these guys from? I mean, this guy from Livy that pretty much cost us two of the worst results in the club's history. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess you'd maybe expect it from Livingston's third choice, but when you sign a keeper on loan from Manchester United who earns 20 grand a week, you maybe are entitled to expect something a little better, perhaps. Yeah, we still got Diddy though, didn't we? I mean, it's just, I mean, what can we say? We'll talk a bit about Hearts um, and your your views from from across the pond and uh, on, on how things are going at the club. We'll talk about, obviously, what you do over in the States and... And your job and and your views, I suppose, of the UK and Scotland, especially from that side of things. Um, we also did get a few responses to our homework question, which is the weird and wonderful things that people have seen at Hearts games. So, uh, if we've got some time, I might touch. Oh, I've, I've got a couple of good ones for that. We'll okay, it. well, keep them saved up because we we could maybe add those in if we got some time at the end. Okay, Stuart. So you. I have been over in the States for how long now? Been here about about eleven years now. Eleven years, so uh, about the same as Mark yeah. then. Is that right, Mark? Same as you? Two thousand ten. Um Dundee United at home. That's how I don't go by kind of months, <laughs> I go by games that hearts play. That was my last one. Um that was the last game I worked, end of August two thousand and ten. Hearts Dundee United at Tyne Castle. So yeah. yeah. Almost identical to me. I think I came over to do a masters. And it started in August 2010, if you believe it. There you go. There we go. Seems yeah. like an eternity ago. So you'll yeah. be well versed in following Hearts uh, from a distance and following them remotely, which is the norm for most fans now in terms of having to tune into streams yeah. or, or listen to games. Uh, how have you found this season and recent goings on with Hearts from a from afar? I mean, where to start? I mean, you know, the, what 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 do we want as, as Hearts fans? I suppose is what, what I've been thinking about a lot recently because we're all you know up in arms as we should be. But you know, we're what what is the goal for us? We're never gonna finish in the top two, I suppose. So what ideally in a sort of you know a best possible scenario, we finish third and get a European spot. You know, what does getting into Europe mean for a Scottish club? Probably means playing one two ties max. So, you know, it's it's good revenue, but how important is that? You know, we just want to see the, the guys trying, don't we? We want to see half-decent football. We want to see effort. We want to see people that love the club. Um, 
And that's about it. And 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 we're we're not getting that at the moment, which is why I think we're all so upset. That's that's what I think. How have you found the watching hearts from afar? Do you find it because I think a lot of the frust a lot of the frustration this season, I think for many fans, is are those that are accustomed to going to the game. So that's not to say that in recent times there haven't been good reasons for frustration, but it does feel like it's been amplified because now the only thing everyone has is watching the game itself it's not going to the pub beforehand having a laugh with your mates going out afterwards it's football and that's it <laughs> right which is almost unwatchable isn't it i mean i think that's you know we, we were people i know you guys mark you have your affiliation with robbie and i think robbie in his first spell was did did pretty well didn't he but the style of football was still not the best it was not easy on the eye um, and I think that's okay when you're getting results, but when you're, I suppose we are getting results, aren't we, to an extent, we're top of the league, but, you know, the, 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 the losses we've had in the last few weeks are, you know, unacceptable. So it's like, I think that's a good point, Laurie, in that when you boil it down to just the football and the football is so bad to watch, you know, where do you go from there? How, how do you think, you know, because obviously you're involved in a lot of sports, a lot of, I, I don't know how much you get involved with clubs themselves in terms of, what they do um, from a perspective of it's just the individuals but how do you see hearts from from a country that is very much into sports marketing and that side of things how do you see hearts Scottish football is it, it does it seem like there's something lacking when you're over in the states where things are try to think of the best way to put it where things are amplified things are promoted in much more of a positive and extravagant fashion it's a good question. I think it's hard to say with Hearts because we're a, you know, we're a, we're not a small club. We're a big club, but we're not a brand per se. You know, you might say Man United is a brand. Man City is a brand. Um, I don't like that word, but you could argue that because they have a fan base that goes outside their city. Now we don't really have fans outside our city, and we're probably never going to get them. Um, so we're somewhat restricted in how we market and who we appeal to. Um, but I think, you know. On the whole, so speaking more broadly, I think it's, it's I mean, Mark will have a, a, an insight in this as well. The way it's, it's set up in the States is obviously just much more commercial, but I think it's not grassroots, but it's it's almost. So I've been thinking about it a lot just in terms of women's sport, because that's what I, I'm really in, in women's sport. And we just bought a stake in a uh, women's football team in the NWSL here, North Carolina Courage. So um, think about that a lot. And I think the difference is that Pretty much every woman that goes to college or university here is a is a sport fan. Um, so if you go to you know University of North Carolina, if you go to Texas, if you go to University of Florida, male or female, you're going to go to all those basketball and American football games, right? So you come out of that and you're a fan of that sport because um, it's kind of ingrained in the psyche when you go through college and then you come out of college and you move to a city and then therefore you probably whichever of those you prefer you'll get involved with that team so immediately you've got access to twice the population we have in you know scottish domestic football let's say i I mean i haven't been to tiny in a while but the 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 percentage of female to men is not 50 50 um again i wouldn't say it's 50 50 an nfl game or an mlb game but it's much much closer so i think for a start there's half the fan base gone I said last week, Stuart, about structure, and I thought structure is the biggest issue at Hearts right now. And of course, there are many other issues below that, but if you don't have your structure in place, I think you're going to have problems. First of all, do you agree with that? 
And from someone who does have an affiliation with the club, albeit from afar, with your experience, do you have a solution to how we fix the structure? I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of not an expert, I wouldn't say, but my business is in the commercial side, and it's like I said, like uh, I, I look at Hart's website the other day, and we have, I don't know, basically zero commercial partners. We have Save the Children on our top. We got um, Umbro. And then, then on the bottom of our website, you're looking at like Sky Sports. Like, well, clearly, guys. Um, so there's, there hasn't been a great job done there. Um, I look at the state of our board. I think it's extremely old. I don't see anyone. I didn't see it. You know, there's no one under 50, I don't think, on there. So I don't think there's anyone, you know, creating novel ideas. I mean, I listened to JC last week talk about, you know, NFTs and, you know, a whole variety of things, which I'm hearing is buzzwords every day in the States. And to an extent, some of them are just that. But, he's, you know, there's a guy that's obviously thinking outside the box. I don't see any outside the box thinking at heart. Um, and I really think, you know, this is a sort of hybrid to the commercial issue. But I think the PR and comms is absolutely appalling. Um, you know, the noises that we have come out. I mean, where we're at right now, I mean, even Robbie himself, some of the stuff I heard him say that if we want to win every week, we should go and watch Man City. I mean, who, whoever lets him say that should be fired, probably before Robbie should. Um, but, you know, all, all the, 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 the stuff we read even from Foundation of Hearts, I mean, the, the communications is just so bad. They're just You want a, I mean, a club person to come forward and say, look, we all know this is not good enough. We're in a bit of bother here. Let's get over the line. Let's regroup. We've, we've heard you guys. We've listened to the fans. We completely understand. Let's all, let's all get together here. And let's get it done. And if someone came out and said that with passion, I think we'd be like, okay, we, 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 we can accept that. But the way we sort of get drip-fed bad information and the people that it comes from and, you know, and budget statements, and they're, they're just they're, – they're amateur to me. And they're not cohesive, they're not passionate, and they don't, they don't speak to what the fans want to hear. And I think it was last week, I was listening to you guys again, you are talking about us as the customers, and we are the customers, but we're not traditional customers, we're fans. You know, you should, we're not, we shouldn't be treated like a customer of a, you know, we're not Sainsbury shoppers and we're not Coca-Cola drinkers. We're, we're fans and we, we, we live and breathe this. So I think whoever speaks to us have to, has to speak in that tone. How do you, how do you resolve something like that? Because there are certain people who are reticent to change. There are certain people, and I'm not, this isn't a hard thing. There are certain people that are, are, worried when new ideas or whatever come because they are maybe not all fay with that um, and, and kind of get, get rather defensive. How do hearts go about embracing a younger generation that, according to what you have just said, they are out of touch with? Well, I, I, I wish I had the answer. I, I mean, I don't. I think, I think it probably starts with, with the people that run the club. And you, again, I go back to the point I made. You look at the board and they're all very old and traditional and we need to hire you know some younger people that understand the club and i don't i think it starts there it's, it, and then it's their job to figure out you know what exactly we do but i don't think that the people making the decisions on behalf of the club even Anne herself uh, i don't think they are and this is perhaps unfair because i don't you know i haven't spoken to them personally about their vision but i don't think they are um you know, up with the times. But then, look, I, I, I don't see that many football clubs that are. Do you guys? I would say Motherwell. 
absolutely spot on. And I, I saw the thing that they did, Mark, with um, the, the guys about the, uh, the racism. And what they did is exactly what LeBron has been doing for two, three years on his, his show, uh, The Shot, which is basically sits with his mates and he talks about not basketball issues, but social, racial, um, societal issues. And I, I watched I, the one on watched, HBO with, with Obama, him, him and Obama. It was, yeah. it's half an hour. It goes by like that. It's a great watch, but it, it, it transcends more than just sport, doesn't it? It gets other people involved. I mean, I like my basketball. I'm not a massive basketball fan, but I liked Obama. So I wanted to watch that. See, it, it kind of seems to be taking issues, um, societal issues or anything like that, and making them kind of mainstream a little bit to try and get as much of an audience as possible. And I mean, I know I don't think LeBron and, and um, Barack Obama and Motherwell have ever been in the same sentence. But <laughs> the, the, the reason I mentioned Motherwell, to give you background, is Alan Burroughs came up from being the PR guy there, right? He was a PR helper, then he was a PR boss, um, and then he ended up on the board, and now he's the chief executive. But Alan's younger than us. Alan's in his kind of probably mid to late 30s right now. He's hired people like uh, Grant Russell, um, and Laura Brennan, who've been at STV. Again, young, innovative innovators who get it right now. And I, I saw a photo of... It must have been from when the Hearts fans were told not to protest and still went down. Most of them were kind of late teenagers, early 20-somethings. There were one or two that were a little bit older. But these are the vocal minority right now. And these are the people we have to try and get on board. And it's interesting you speak about the, the age of the board at Hearts right now. Maybe that's something for them to look at, because one thing I would say about them, I'd like to think that if someone comes up with a really good idea, they would at least either embrace it or take it on board before making a decision. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I hadn't thought about Motherwell like that, but you're really spot on. I've seen them do a few things, and I don't know if this is tactical by them, but I mean, I remember going to Motherwell away games at Fur Park even you know, must be perhaps in excess of 10 years ago. They've always catered to the young guys. They always had that wee group of bands, like, with their with their drum and whatever, and, you know, right or wrong, and whether we flag that off. They've always been sort of quite progressive on that front, and maybe they have to be because they've got to attract a fan base that takes them away from the old firm when they're playing in the same vicinity. But um, I think they've done a pretty decent job, and, um, yeah, it's, it's a good shout. Mark, um, you're saying... Well, Mark's saying there's a. I know there's a. I know what he means. There's a vocal minority in terms of who will, you know, who are actually maybe going out and protesting and have flags and such. But you know, one thing we spoke about last week was the fact that it's a. It's certainly a majority who are, I suppose, unhappy with how things are going. And we we did a a vote on um on our Twitter feed, which is a similar kind of returns similar percentages other votes have been done on forums and, and other twitter accounts which was 90 about 90 percent wanted the manager to to go just now and i think we got about 2,000 votes which you know like a political poll you can project that and say that's probably roughly summing up the the feelings among the heart support i mean you know we talked about customers and you talked about the fact that you know the football fans are customers and then some there's there's more to them than that this isn't someone that you lose some customers and you get some more these are your your kind of 
your 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 lifelong your subscribers the people who will keep that business afloat is it dangerous to dismiss that you know with that weight of you know that weight of feeling from from your your customer base for want of a better way a word and you know and not take action i realize that and budge would not want to be seen to bowing to the mob or making decisions because she was pressured into it but at the at the other end of it is it also difficult to not listen to that amount of the, or that percentage of discontent yeah i mean i think yeah i think he has to go and i think that's you know there's a multitude of reasons but that's probably the primary one and it's an economic one isn't it because that ties into season tickets and that ties into strips and there's just no way that our fan base is going to get behind them for the start of next year, right? So we're immediately on the back foot. So I don't think, I don't think she has a choice. Um, and I like Robbie. I mean, when he was a player, look, we loved him, didn't he? He's the kind of guy I want in the team right now, to be honest. Um, so there's nothing personal against Robbie. Um, but I just think where where the team's at and where the psyche of the fans are at, you know, it's it's it's, it's impossible. Another question I want to put to you, even from a a perspective of looking at it maybe from other sports and having represented sports men and women um i was chatting to a few people about this early in the week that i often think especially in football and especially for us as hearts at hearts there's too much focus on changing um and mark made a good point um recently i can't remember if it was last week or our or, or previous episode about not improving players there always seems to be this attitude in in football that you have to change things not that player's not performing bin him bin him bin eight of the players let's find another eight and at the level hearts are at everything is a little bit of a or more of a risk than at the top level because you're always signing free transfers or unknowns or players who have either had injury problems or they're maybe at the wrong end of their career or they're still quite young is there too much focus on overhauling players constantly rather than thinking right how do I improve that player? He can't. His problems are this and this. How do I coach him to be a better player and not have to spend a couple hundred grand paying him off his contract, buy another player, etc. Um, unless that's not how you want to look at it, because being a being an agent as such, maybe the moves that players or whatever kind of players they are moving around is good for you for business. But is there too much focus on that sometimes that you just no, they don't work, they don't fit in bin them all, start again, next window, not, they're not working, replace, replace, replace. Yeah, definitely. But I think like that, that's why we want Robbie out, isn't it? Because we want a, a manager that can do that. I mean, Robbie's not Robbie's not just even kept them status quo. From what I can see, a lot of these players have got worse. Yeah. I mean, Gary Mackay-Steven looks like, I mean, that's the guys. Am I watching the same Gary Mackay-Steven that played, played, you know, for Aberdeen and Celtic and Scotland? I mean, Guys, guys, miles off the pace. He's got worse. Um, you know, Naismith has been terrible this year. You know, the only the only one who's doing it, who's 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 showing up is 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 the goalie. Craig Gordon's the only player I would keep in the team next year. Maybe, maybe Boyce. Irving, Boyce, Boyce, yeah, Boyce, Irving, Craig Gordon. I mean, is, who, who else? I mean, I, 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 I think, I mean, and I think if, but, uh, you know, if Suter comes back in, I mean, Michael Smith is all right. Um, 
We've not Shay Logan's surely not been tarnished yet. He's only had one game and he played <laughs> and he played okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually don't mind Halliday. I know that's an unpopular opinion because he's he's such a hun and he does his open goal thing. I don't think he's a terrible player. Um, you know, I think there's maybe there's maybe there's four or five we could we could start, but I think the rest of them have to get binned and we've got to find a manager that improves the four or five. And you know, I mean, you guys tell me because I'm not. Up to uh, as up to speed as you are, but where where have guys like Harry Cochran gone? I mean, don't, don't I remember what, he, he <laughs> and then Montrose, but what's he what's he doing? I remember him, you know, having a centre midfield battle against Scott Brown, and he had, you know, he he was every every bit up to the task. So how does a player like that, who's a Hearts player, end up at Montrose? How does that happen? It's a good point, and it's a, 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 the kind of questions that a lot of people are asking, and the same, you know, people asking things like um, Anthony McDonald, you know, we got rid of him, has Elliot Freer or Jordan Roberts or Gervain Castanier, who probably costing us more. Have they shown anything more than a a young player that came through the academy system? Um, you know, even Callum Morrison was mentioned because I think he's being linked with some English Championship clubs. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Um, yeah, there's there's that question asked. It's not like we're it's not like players are being kept out of the team by Takis Fisas or Edgaris Jankowskis or Paul Hartley. They're their younger players are going out on loan or they're not getting a game or they're being sold on, and we're bringing in poor players, you know, mediocre players who aren't performing. So it's it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Stuart, do you think you know one thing that gets spoken about sometimes at Hearts is that you know we've lost sight of the football side of things, but commercially things are have have improved or, or come along, or the business side works. You know, you mentioned you know maybe commercially there isn't it doesn't appear that there's maybe enough going on in that side of things. Do you think there is still a lot of work to be done on that? Do you think that Sometimes there's cracks being papered. The fact that we're so focused on how poor the football department has got that maybe there are bigger issues at Hearts as well overall, even on the side that isn't doesn't you know give us frustrations on the park. Well, yeah, I mean, you you guys tell me. I mean, we, what does that mean to say that we're we're doing well commercially? I mean, we've balanced the books, so I think we can say we're doing better business than we were when Romanov was here. But other than that, what are we doing commercially that makes us especially sad? And I, maybe there is something, but you, you guys, again, are closer to it than me. So, is there is there something I'm missing? But sure. How how do we, from a commercial perspective, when things aren't going well at all, try and persuade a fan base? Oh, you can still buy your gear, still buy your merchandise, still buy your home top, and everything like that. So, I get what you're saying about um, we're we're doing all right commercially. How do you sell a product? to a disenfranchised support? Well, it's very difficult. And I said that at the outset. I mean, I don't, but I'm not talking about selling the product to the support. I think that that, that is actually Robbie's job. Um, or that's the, that's the football side to an extent. I'm talking about, do we do enough externally? Do we engage with partners who, you know, might, let me rephrase. So if we're if we're take Naomi as an example, and we have different scales of, of of deals that we have. So we have a Nike deal which is up there with the biggest. We have a Mastercard deal. We have a Workday deal. We have a Beats deal. We have a Louis Vuitton deal. 
perhaps that Louis Vuitton deal is not as much as the Nike deal, but we've done it because we can tap into what Louis Vuitton brings to her. You know, is there partners out there for hearts that, you know, maybe it's a local business, maybe it's a local businessman, maybe it's, could be anything, couldn't it? But it, maybe there's a partner there that we can work with together that brings something novel to the table that, um, you know, brings in a bit of revenue, but also creates some buzz. Um, is there anyone, doesn't look like to me that, and I could be wrong, so again, I feel a bit unfair, but it doesn't look to me like there's anyone thinking for these out-of-box out of ideas, and yes, it's the worst possible time in history to be selling that product because it's, it's shite on the pitch. Um, we're, it, we can't go to the games. I mean, yeah, okay, now's not the time. But, um, you know, it doesn't look like there's anyone putting in any energy any energy into driving it forward, even just doing the stuff we're talking about the Motherwell does. So, I, I, again, I don't know the answer. I would need to be spending a lot more time thinking about it, and it's probably a very complicated uh, question and solution. But I think selling it to the fan base is is the the, the, the team on the pitch's job. Yeah, and that's not happening at the moment. Out of interest, I mean, you've mentioned all those big corporate sponsors that Naomi has. You've worked with her when she was 150 in the world. Now, Hearts can't go to some of the biggest companies in the world and say, "Look, can, can you join?" They've got to pick their battles and pick their their ideal partners. How many of those? partners those sponsors did Naomi have when you first started looking after her with potential and how can that translate to to hearts in that okay it might not be good right now however if you get on board now there's incentives aplenty for us down the road when hopefully things do turn around how do how do both of these things work I love the, the position I'm in of comparing Naomi Osaka to hearts it must be uh... I got there tenuous <laughs> but I got there yeah um, look, I think, you know, she has a lot of big corporate partners now. She didn't always, but they didn't pop out, pop up out of nowhere. There was a strategy. So, so Hearts probably can't go and do, you know, wouldn't say big deals, maybe any deals right now, but what is it we want to portray as a club? What are we trying to do in the short to, to medium to long term strategically? So take Naomi as an example. I knew because she told me and we'd had conversations about it. She was very interested in fashion. Okay, so she's from Japan. She's famous there. Okay, so then we connected her with a Japanese brand called Adium. She designed the collection with them. It was shown at New York Fashion Week. We couldn't have done that with an American designer because she didn't have the same cachet at the time. But, you know, we got our feet wet. Vogue covered it in their magazine. Um, from there, we can then start telling the story when we're talking to Louis Vuitton about how much she loves fashion, how creative she is, how she's done this stuff. It's a strategy. Now, now, Hearts would need to come up with a strategy of what is our messaging, what is our outward messaging, and how do we want to get there? So if the goal is, I don't know, I'm make, I'm, this is just rubbish, it'll sound bad, but if the goal is to do a deal with Beats by Draper Headphones, you know, maybe we start seeding it with some of the players so they're wearing, they're wearing it, you know, sometimes when they're, when they're photographed, and then from there we can start conversations. I mean, that's not going to happen. That's That's... Perhaps a terrible example, but I'm just thinking of uh, Jake Mulraney getting shit from all the fans for warming up wearing <laughs> wearing headphones. Put them on to, to do you remember? Going. Do you remember he got loads of stick because he saw him warming up and he had yeah. his he had his yeah. earphones in? Maybe he wants a, an Apple deal down the line. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's a, it's a it's not it's not an easy comparison, but you see what I mean? It's just I don't know what our commercial strategy is. We've spoken about this. Um, for the last few weeks, not this specific topic, but 
we're not all experts. Right? We're not pr- pretending to be experts, but we are basing our thoughts on our football club based on things we read and things we hear from from within. And it can be difficult because we've said before, you see a team selection on a Saturday. Why is he playing? But it transpires he's maybe had a good week in training or there's there's some tactical reason because of that. So our our kind of minds are not made up, but they're, they're sent in a, a certain direction based on the content that is available there. So, And that takes us back to the, the public relations and the communications that you were talking about earlier. Do you think there is an element right now of, as some fans are saying, hearts not being open enough with the supporters and then when they are, maybe not hearing what the supporters want to hear. But as Laurie has said as well, Stuart, there's the difficulty of the club not wanting to pander to this loud vocal minority who maybe don't reflect the the, the broader opinion. It's a difficult one. Yeah, no, it is. I, I think, I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff that I would never, never have imagined we'd have discussed, whether it's commercial or, or whatever. But I, I think the comms is the, is the worst part. Um, I look at um, just thinking out loud as, as I think Scotland have done a decent job I would say in the last don't know since since Steve Clark has been there um, you could sort of see what he was doing and he wouldn't necessarily pick the team that you know we, there might be a team that 90% of the nation would pick and he wouldn't always pick that and it might be quite defensive and not the best on the eye but we all understood kind of where he was going didn't we um, and he doesn't he doesn't give away much in terms of what he says or even his, his facial expressions or anything. But you kind of knew where he was going and what he was getting at. And because of that, I think as, as Scotland fans, we thought, OK, let's let's see where it's going. In, in this situation, you know, we don't really know what direction they're going, what they actually think about the team. You know what? I mean, what style of football does he want to play? What what style of football does he want to play next year? How is he going to build it? I mean. None of this is not just communicated, but none of it is obvious by anything they do in any shape or form, I would say. Stuart, how did, how did this all come about anyway? In terms of, you know, you, you know, when Mark asked you why you support Hearts, it was very obvious. You grew up nearby. They were, they were your team. Obviously, family links as well. So, so how does Stuart go from go from Tynecastle to LA then how did that all come about so I think it was must have been 2008 was it 7 or 8 when there was that big um, you know the markets went to shit yeah, and uh, big crash you know, first that. one was two, yeah, about yeah. 2008 wasn't it the first big crash first crash so I was working at a law firm in London and I was I must have been the worst solicitor in the history <laughs> uh, don't know why I, I took the job or why, what I was doing there and they actually came down to fire me one day and it was a Friday morning and I was hung over from going out in, in Camden on the Thursday night before. So I think they knew they had the right guy when I wasn't even there to be fired. Um, so, so they let me go. But fortunately for me, they owed me a sum of money because of what was happening. They couldn't just let me go for free. So I took about, I don't know, it's like 10 or 15 grand from them at the time. And I used that and went to Duke University in North Carolina to do a master's, God knows why I chose law again, but I did, I did law. It was just, just, I guess I was the only thing I thought I could get accepted in a American college in. And I'd seen, you know, American college stuff on TV and was like, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, and I was still sort of mid twenties. So gave myself a chance to 
have a bit of crack doing it. So went there, did that. That was a one-year thing. Um, met my wife while I was doing it, so I knew I wanted to stay in the States. And then um, I was trying to be, again, God knows why, a lawyer at sort of a Nike or an IMG or sports lawyer. And um, sports, as they say here, sport lawyer. And <laughs> <laughs> I just I knew, um, I knew Andy Murray. Um, I played tennis in Scotland. Um, and Andy's mum coached me and my brother for a number of years. So um, Judy Murray is a family friend, and Judy introduced me to um, a handful of um, agencies, sport agencies, tennis agencies, um, and one of the agencies was a company called Lagardere, which was a tennis agency, and they said, don't have any jobs for a lawyer, but if you fancy organizing a charity event for some of our players, then we'll give you a six-month contract. And I said, whatever you've got, give it to me. Got in there, did that. Within about three months of that six-month project, tragically, one of our agents died. Um, it was a guy that was, that was the agent of uh, Andy Roddick, if you remember him, tennis player. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he had Roddick and a few other clients, and his clients were divided up. So suddenly I sort of got elevated. Um, one of those clients happened to be a girl called Radwanska, who Mark will know from his tennis coverage, who was... Polish girl who got up to two in the world, played in the Wimbledon final, lost to Serena Williams. I was basically handed her as a client quite early doors. Um, and from there, I suppose, I used that um, as leverage to sign a few more players and then ended up with, you know, working with players like Nick Kyrgios, um, Richard Gasquet, um, Kevin Anderson, and then, you know, most recently, Naomi, who has become a full-time job. So it's pretty much uh, 99% of my days on her stuff. So, yeah, that's how I got here. And then I, I started in Washington, D.C., moved to L.A. about five years ago, I think. I basically had the option to go where we had offices, and that was New York or L.A. And just ha- having lived in London and obviously Edinburgh for my, my childhood, I thought I'll go somewhere with some warm weather. It's not everyone from <laughs> Edinburgh gets to do that. So been in L.A. since then, and, yeah, love it. Probably, probably be here for a while, I'd say. Apart from, obviously, you've spoken about Naomi, who are some of the other recognisable names that you've ended up working with down the, down the years? Um, I mean, I'm working with uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold at the moment. Okay. his business, um, which has been interesting. Had a uh, his, his sort of day-to-day agent is a, uh, well, it's his brother, but his brother worked with a business partner, this guy J.P. Mowbray, who's a Celtic fan, but also has a list of clients. He's got Andy Robertson, Stuart Armstrong, um, and he came to me six months, well, a bit more actually, and said, you know, what should we do with Trent? And I said, and at the time, Trent was flying, by the way. He's not had a great season. Um, and I sort of gave him a bit of advice. And then I said, well, actually, you know, I wouldn't mind doing it myself. Um, so we've uh, been doing that for a period of time. And obviously, he hasn't had a great season. And Liverpool have equally not had, had the best year. So it's been... A little bit challenging, but also fascinating to understand, you know, to see it from a football side as well, being, you know, a big football fan myself. Things have changed, haven't they, Laurie? I mean, it's not kind of the Smith kid, Whitaker, Jordan, Berry, Levine, Colhoun, Black, Clark, Mackay, Robertson, mid-80s team. You're talking things are now, people's contracts, they don't just have one. They have their playing contract. They have their image right contracts. It's it's a totally different different game. Is it a, is it a young person's game now, Stuart, or is there is there still that kind of? Yeah, I wouldn't say. I'd, I'd say I'm I'm at a decent age for it because you have to be at an age where you can relate to the player, um, yeah. but also have the maturity to understand the business aspect a bit more. 
and still be connected to youth culture. So I probably wouldn't be able to do it when I was 60. Um, but it's been interesting because, um, you know, in tennis, I don't know what Naomi makes in prize money, call it like $5 million a year. Well, then she makes another $35 million in her endorsements. So the endorsement stuff is really big business for her. Football, it's very, very top heavy. So only the top guys are getting big, big Nike contracts. So it's mm-hmm. maybe your Messi or your Ronaldo. Um, uh, Haaland is up there now. You know, the, these, these top, top, top guys are probably doing quite well, but it drops off very, very quickly after that. Um, and then you take, take someone like Trent or Andy Robertson or whoever, you know, their contract with the club is worth considerably more than they would earn in a commercial deal. So they're not as focused or as interested necessarily as tennis player might be or a golfer might be. Or, and it's a bit, it's the same in the States. Like basketball is very top heavy, like Le- LeBron, Kobe. Um, these guys have always done amazing, but the next tier um, is quite tough. Um, so I think that's, that's the difference. I was going to ask you as well, uh, what, obviously, you know, you, you've said yourself, I mean, you're, you're not, you know, you're maybe a bit, far away to or out of the loop so to speak to know exactly what goes on commercially at hearts and how effective certain things are um you know scottish football as a whole gets a lot of criticism for how it's poorly marketed and you know how the commercialism isn't there to to try and get that product out there more i mean if for instance if you were given a task you know hypothetically be at hearts or maybe further afield to scottish football as a whole you know, how do we break into other markets like the states? Obviously, you, you'll know the states very well because there's, you know, there's a lot of foot, foot, a lot of football and soccer fans. If we're going to say that in the states, and I know there are American fans of Hearts who have no link to Scotland. There's one that I, I put in the program not too long ago who just picked a team. They just want to pick a, a team in the UK. Um, they liked the name. They thought it was interesting. Looked at the history. So there are fans, for instance, in the likes of the states who who would obviously, if they supported Hearts, would maybe pay for Hearts TV, would order strips, would you know, would invest even if they're not buying season tickets as such. How you know if if, if Anne Budge came to you and said, right, Stuart, we want you to be our point man um, in terms of marketing Hearts in the states. How how would you go about it? And I know the reason I say Scottish football as a whole might have to be factored in is because I realise if people can't watch them readily without subscribing, it's maybe more difficult to get them out there. I think I would say to Anne, I'd rather sell pies and I would um, flaunt hearts in the States. I think that's a pretty impossible <laughs> job. Um, but, but no, I mean, I think, and this this is sounds terrible and it's not what we want to hear, but there's the reality is, if Scottish football was to have any presence in the States, there's two clubs that would drive it. Yeah. Um, and I think those clubs, I mean, Celtic in, in, in cities like Boston. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, they, they have a massive fan base. But I don't think games get, you know, covered that much. Again, Mark, you'll know more than I will. But I think if we're a club like Hearts, you know, maybe there's Hearts, Aberdeen, Hibs. Um, you know, those three clubs could could try and sort of do something on the coattails of the others. Um, but we couldn't do it ourselves. Um, it would be an impossible task. But I think if there was a narrative and a story told about these two big clubs and who they play every week, well, then you're going to get a handful of people that say, well, I want to support the wee club that doesn't necessarily win everything. I mean, I think I'm sure you'll see that in the Premier League. I see 
Again, Mark, tell me if you see this. I see a lot of Arsenal fans. I don't know where that's come from. I mean, Arsenal haven't won the league in, I don't know how many years, when I was probably still in school or whatever. But, uh, 89 I mean, so, and then, then the Invincibles. Yeah, exactly. So, But there's a lot of Arsenal fans. So those Arsenal fans must have come on the back of watching the clubs that are winning the league, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, and said, well, I want to be, you know, support someone that, that's easy on the eye and has some decent players and um, a bit of flair. Um, so, so they've gained a support like that. I wonder if Hearts, a club like Hearts could do that if the Scottish game was covered better. But, I mean, look, that's, yeah. that's a bit I think you can strip this right back. Laurie, you're asking Stuart the question about trying to promote Hearts in the US. Why don't we try and promote Hearts and other teams in Scotland? In Scotland and in the UK, why don't we have a chief executive of a Scottish Premier League or a Scottish Football Association that can actually attract a sponsor for the National Cup competition and for the leagues? I mean, that's the bottom line here. We're rewarding failure. By putting these people in charge and keeping them in charge, that's the key thing, because they've been lapdogs for powerful people at other clubs who are about to leave. So so how do we promote our game better within? There's no point in kind of saying, oh, I want Naomi Osaka to be the biggest tennis player in the world when she's 150. Stuart's already kind of said, oh, this is how we did it. We, we took these little steps. We have got a situation in Scotland where we don't even have sponsorship deals Yet the person in charge of that gets off scot-free. That's not right. And that isn't going to help grow the brand, is it? I think we're at an all-time low as well. Because I think, I remember, you, know, you guys must remember going to games. You know, you, you always, we always had a, not always, but more, a few times we had a decent sponsor on our strip. You must remember when we had Strongbow and every single game we'd go to would be the UK's number one sider. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a decent sponsor. You know, that's a, that's a big brand name. And that was Hearts. You know, why can't it be done? Um, why are we so far removed from, I mean, that was not even that long ago, but and I, and I, and I, I just wonder where, where the Scottish game has just is, is gone to pieces really commercially. It's, it's quite sad. Could you fix it? If someone said to you, we're going to double your salary, you probably earn a fortune, right? Where you are and good on you for, do, for doing what you've done because you've been a, a great success story over there. But if someone decided, whether it was a James Anderson and, and it was a bottomless pit of cash, and they said to you, look, whether it's a project um, or whether it's a full-time gig, regardless, say you have agreed, stupidly, to come back to Scotland, but you have to fix Scottish football. This is We're coming to the end of this podcast, and I'm not going to ask you how you'd fix it, but what would be the most important thing with someone from a commercial background that you would do to kick things off, to try and get Scottish football back in people's relevance again? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't do it now because Naomi's probably got another runway of about, I don't know, eight to ten years. But if you came to me in ten years' time, I mean, there's two jobs I would probably take. It would be, um, you know, commercial director of Hearts or maybe 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 the SFA or the league. Um, what would you want? You would just want autonomy to do your own things and you'd want a little like a manager wants I suppose you'd want a little runway to put a strategy in place you're not going to get results in a year so you'd want a decent time to kind of put your own stamp on it and then you'd want and and you would have to earn this you'd have to go to the clubs and get their buy-in but you'd have to get some sort of collective alignment on a strategy and I don't know what that strategy is but I think if you have 
those things and then you can go to the fans and you can take them something that excites them and um, you have to really understand what that is then yeah, it would be, it would be an interesting job yeah Right, back to some um, hearts related fun, which we don't have. We don't have much fun these days, unfortunately. But um, last week we were speaking about the weird and wonderful things that you've seen at hearts games. So that can be uh, the reason I mentioned this was purely because we were talking about the goal side, the goal frame not being the right size, because we'd seen this happen at Switzerland and Lithuania, was it? And we were looking back at Hearts against Mallorca when obviously the, the goals were too small in that Cup Winners Cup match all those years ago. Um, or it could be something silly that you've seen from fans. I mentioned the time that randomly a Hearts fan threw a yam on the pitch in front of the Hibs fans at Tencastle because obviously they called us yams uh, on Hibs.net quite often. Uh, I'll quickly start with an email um, from Steve Meeklejohn who talked about, and I don't know if you both remember this, so he said, um, you asked uh, on this week's show for homework of any weird and wonderful or, or obscure things you've seen at Hearts games. This technically falls into that category because of a song played post-5-1 um, Cup final. I'm referring to the campaign to get Greg Wallace to Hamden in May 2012. Um, my correct recollection of it is as follows. Uh, I caveat by saying I haven't looked back on Kickback or researched it and may have got some bits wrong. No doubt someone will correct me if so. Um, Greg's face was used as a smiley slash gif on kickback around that time. It was a satisfied face of his after, I assume, a delightful plate of food, probably with a buttery biscuit base on MasterChef. I assume you both remember this, do you know, that, um, you know, Greg Wallace, obviously from from MasterChef, he had this silly gif that was used by Hearts fans a lot where he's looking very pleased with something he's just eaten. I don't know if that rings, or is that maybe just after you both left? Yeah, we we were 2010. So basically, this was used so often on kickback that someone started, and this is, I'm, I'm reading the email again, someone started a thread after we beat Celtic in a semi-final called Get Greg Wallace to Hamden or similar in an effort to get him to the Salt and Sauce Cup final. Uh, the thread gained some traction and it was eventually brought to Greg's attention on Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll skip through some of it because Apparently, it was close to happening, basically, that Greg Wallace was almost going to come to the cup final. But um, what Steve mentioned specifically is that it seemed to die down, but after the game, whilst the players were walking behind the goal facing the East Stand on their lap of honour, just before the actual heart song was played, the Hamden announcer played MasterChef. Um, the MasterChef remix, which is Buttery Biscuit Bass, I don't know if you've heard that one. No? No, I don't know that. Uh, I'll play it. I'm not sure what language this, this is. I'll play it at the end, basically. Yeah, it's, well, it's a silly remix anyway. So that that tune was played. Um, I, I can't believe you can't remember that Greg Wallace almost came to the Hearts Cup final. And after the game, uh, Steve says, Greg tweeted, go on the Jambos after the 5-1 game. I did get Mike Myers to Austin Powers to do the five-one ones. Did you? I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that. Yeah. Was that you? That was me. Yeah. Well done. Well done. 
Steve actually says, a few years ago, my dad got chatting to Greg in an airport lounge and asked him about the hearts thing. His words are along the lines of, that came out of nowhere and I still have no real clue what it was all about. Same as Mark, same as Mark and um, and uh, Stuart, apparently. Yes. <laughs> right, let's see if we've got some ones that you might have remembered. Uh, Ragnar says, hearts fans singing the praise of Andy Gorham's first class performance at Tynecastle in our 3-1 win back in 1991 save after save after save was applauded um the shed performed the cardinal sin by um applauding a hips player i've heard that before did, did we speak about that mark i think we might have you think so there was also the there's only two andy gorham's yes i do remember one, that one one or two you know, spells what he was a good goalkeeper i when i was a kid i just thought it was because he was chubby <laughs> didn't get the joke anyway. you know, he was uh, cricket for scotland as well yeah he did uh, then he went to Man United. That was weird. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, Rab Hay says our old bus broke down at Hart Hill on the way to Celtic Park, and we had to push it in a few feet of snow. It's moved, and we're trying to find find it after the game. And my dad said it's this one. I ask, how do you know? He says, look at the handprints on the back. <laughs> uh, what have we got here? Oh, Ragnar again says someone brought a rubber doll to Tynecastle draped in a heart scarf. And when Hart scored, the TV cameras captioned her opened mouth expression with sheer adulation. <laughs> but, uh, interesting one. Uh, what else have we got? Um, oh, Amaruso Let's It Run sent us a video of the fans holding up the newspapers at Ibrox in 2005, 2006. I was there. That was, that was, they were really hard to get tickets for that one because it was what, there was only. Seven or, eight, seven or eight hundred you got and obviously the game was sold out quite early because there was potential for it to be a Champions League place decider and in the end it was completely yeah. completely irrelevant but yeah it was one that I wish I'd managed to get to even if it didn't mean anything there was, there, I was commentating on that and I didn't give a toss no, the Hearts fans already, cheered when Boyd scored yeah, they, they did they did because they, they all took the Sunday Times or the, well some of them took the Sunday Post and the Sunday sport because there was all kinds of uh, heart supporters and uh, and class um, and they just <laughs> pretended to read the newspapers all day and uh, didn't give a toss and when Boydie scored that they uh, they loved it. We also got a tweet um, from Hearts Heritage about a swan on yeah. the pitch in 1960 yeah. at Clyde. Brilliant. I like that one. Yeah, um, Davy Allen who runs the Hearts Heritage page of the Hearts Museum sent that Clyde Nell Hearts won April 1966 and there's some great pictures of this swan um, what's, what's the caption with this one we heard that Clyde were looking were looking out for a new man on the wing but it's unlikely that they wanted a swan um, there's some oh, some terrific is lines that, here is that 1960s humour because it's shite yeah well <laughs> Well, here we go. There's marching orders for a swan by referee Bob Henderson as the referee gets the swan off the pitch. Um, it's like your humour. What are you talking about? It's not as good as my humour. My humour's awful. Uh, let's see who else we've got. Um, Stefan Adam's right boot said, I remember a rugby ball being thrown onto the Easter Road pitch in about 2004. Pretty sure Craig Gordon picked it up and hammered it right back out of the park. <laughs> I'm sure that would have been in reference don't to. Know why um, that's started, but it is. Yeah, I think. Well, 2004 was probably some time at Murrayfield. There's probably a Hibs joke in there about Hearts playing rugby, rug, rugby style football. Um, we played um, played Dundee around that time, 
a closed door game. I think it was just before that. It was Robinson deciding oh, that he you thought it, yeah. that one, yeah. So maybe it was to do with that because they had tried Murrayfield out around that time when we thought we were going to have to sell to the housing developers. Uh, <laughs> Colin says another belter lad next to me eating a pie. Boy in front, leaning forward, giving us a workman's smile, um, suddenly jumps up like a rocket, turns round and goes, WTH. Um, turns out some hot grease had dripped out the pie and landed square in the middle of his <laughs> bum crack. Oh. Oh, um, <laughs> Jesus I know, I know. Here's a good <laughs> singing retort here. Um, Jonathan Slatter says, one of my favourites, Falkirk fans singing Champions League, you're having a laugh. Hearts fan in front of me replies to the same tune with brush your teeth and have a bath. Cue laughter from all around in the rendition from section A. <laughs> That's good. Like a bit of creative singing. I wonder what the be- I wonder what the best sing or the best song in Scottish football, the most creative song has been. We've done, one that we, the... we did that, remember, homework wise. Laurie, this is episode 128. I can't even remember what 127 episode was all about. You're asking me <laughs> all the all those years ago. Because they had the they had the 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 Wraith fans sang they're dirty and they're smelly, they haven't got a telly. They come from near Loch Gelly, the Cowden family, to the tune of the Adams family. Which I thought was pretty clever. I thought that was alright. Quite creative, yeah. Uh here's 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 two that could be linked actually. So um Gavin Aitchison says Hearts against Dundee United, January nineteen ninety, Gary Mackay, I think missed the ball taking a corner and kicked the corner flag instead, snapping it and injuring himself in the process. But then Mark McKenzie, who of course was announcer at Tincastle in the 90s, his suggestion for this bit of homework was there was a match in the 90s where the corner flag snapped and there was a surreal sight of it being bandaged up by, I think it might have been Alan Ray, the physio, before play could resume. Thankfully, it was the only time in 13 years that I had to ask, is there a doctor in the house on the on the PA? Maybe it was the same incident. Not, not one I remember. Not one I remember. Uh, what we got else we got here? <laughs> so Colin Marshall sent us a picture of a bunch of Hearts fans um, with a stuffed, or a, certainly a toy dog on some kind of pushing push device i don't know he says ignore the west end plaque they're holding west end hearts plaque the brechen dug was acquired by orwell hearts from a skip in brechen in 1993 and was allowed out for cup semi-finals and finals it's just a strange toy dog there you go um (laughs) x is has anyone mentioned the first 20 minutes of the sparta prague game because of the smoke from the fireworks oh, display yeah. yet. They, that was the, ridiculous. The night was damp, so yeah. the smoke, they thought it would be a good idea. No one checked the weather forecast. And because it was damp that night, the smoke from the fireworks wouldn't clear. <laughs> and uh, honestly, <laughs> it I was, was mental. I mean, my, my commentary at best um, could be described as questionable. But when you can't see the other end of the pitch, <laughs> it becomes even harder. You could have done the uh, commentary from. Um, Bob, and I've forgotten his surname now. Remember who did the commentary of Hearts, the Hearts Hibs game during the Second World War and had to make it all up? Bob Kingsley, that was it, yeah. wasn't he? So supposedly that took place because they didn't want to let the yeah. the enemy know 
what was going on. Yeah. Um, okay, one last one, and then we'll get... Um, I think Stuart said he's got a couple. Uh, Jamie Hill says, playing against Kamarnik a couple of seasons ago, and Chris Boyd was getting it stinking. Second half, uh, second half, a boy shouts from the main stand, "Your pish, Boyd! Berra has you in his back, in his pocket all game." Boyd turns to the boy and says, "He must have some size of fucking pocket." It's <laughs> quite good for Chris Boyd. Um, so there's some, there's some, some very weird ones. Some of them from Hearts games, memory wise. You said you've got a couple, Stuart, that you remember from from back in the day. Maybe they're more memories and weird things, but they're quite funny. One was, um, there must have been, you know, there was, I think there was 5,000 fans there that day. I remember we went to Dundee United away one one day and it was the uh, George Burley era. So we were absolutely flying. We, we filled it out behind the goals and more. And it was the warm up and we were, all the fans were in there early. I can't remember why. It was quite unusual. It was about half an hour before the game and it was packed. And um, I got a good spot right behind the goals. Cross comes in. Um, this is in the warm up. Bednar cracks a right foot volley, could not have hit it more flush. I mean, the the hardest I've ever seen a volley struck. Hits Jankowskis, who's about two yards in front of him, flush in the face, falls down like a, you know, in a heap. And actually, it's quite dangerous now when we talk about all the concussion stuff. But Yanni gets up, can barely walk, goes down the tunnel. We're thinking, no chance he comes out. I think he came out and played about 70 minutes that day, but he was awful. I mean, he was he was... All over the shop. So I don't know if any other jambos remember that, but that was that was quite interesting. Um, other one I've got, and I'll be quick because I know we're coming to the end. My I was my very very first game. It's funny how you remember stuff. Couldn't tell you anything about the game, but it was Hearts Bologna. Um, must have been a cup winners cup. Well, not kind of been cup winners. Must have been a UEFA Cup tie. I was seven, so nineteen ninety, I would guess, or ninety. Yeah, Bologna was nineteen ninety. 90. We won at home, didn't we? And then we lost away. But we, um, I was, we were in the family enclosure and a guy shouts, uh, um, away back to your paella. And a few people, everyone started laughing. And, and I, <laughs> said, I was like, Daddy, Daddy, why are they laughing? He's like, well, he's like, well paella is Spain and we're playing Bologna who are from Italy. Um, so <laughs> um, some good contributions all around. Thank you, Stuart. And, and thank you, everyone who got in touch with us. Uh, we are running out of time because Mark's got to go and get a vaccine, don't you? Well, yeah, I've got to go and get my COVID vaccine, but I don't have to go and spend time with the world's most highest earning sportswoman who he's got to tell to smile, even though she's probably got no idea of the company that she's about to deal with or never even heard of them before, but she's getting paid <laughs> fortunes. So, yeah, the different actually, lives of, of two Scottish Hearts fans in America. I sent my assistant and I said I had a very important business call that I couldn't skip, so I hope she doesn't listen to uh, Scarves Around the Funnel. <laughs> I said my assistant. <laughs> Jesus. I'm Laurie's assistant. That's about as far as I go. Well, I've got to go and prepare for Hearts Against Alawa, so you're both lucky. So, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us, Stuart. We've obviously got to let you both go um, to do your own things, very different reasons, but hope your <laughs> hope your vaccine goes well, uh, Mark, and I, I hope everything goes well with the... Was it, with, is it a photo shoot you've got tonight? It's a TV commercial TV shoot. TV commercial. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, hope it all goes well, Stuart, and um, we'll maybe get you on at some point again in the future. Thank you for joining us from afar. Pleasure. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Stuart. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Um, we'll be back next week on Scars Around the Funnel. Hearts may have won the championship by then. Uh, it's probably people like, who cares at this point? But we'll be back anyway to speak about Hearts against Aloha Athletic and uh, maybe celebrate in some form anyway. 
until then, thank you um, and goodbye. I like the base, 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 base. I like the Barbary biscuit base. I like the base, base, biscuit base. I like the Barbary biscuit base. I like the base. I like the Barbary base. I like the Barbary biscuit base. I like the Barbary base. I like the Barbary base. Base, 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 base. Knowledge, crunchy base, nutty base, Barbary biscuit base, acid base, macaroni base. I like the Barbary biscuit base. Hard base, soft base, Barbary biscuit base. I like the Barbary base. I like the Barbary base, but it needs more oomph. That base, base, base. Base, 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 base